Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the second uh, installment, uh, or second or third, depending on how you look at it, of Love Week, right here on the Ghost Chronicles Radio Network. And, of course, Marla Sister and the Cauldron. I am your love coach, Rod Kowick. And with me are three of the finest people I know. I can't say that with a straight face. I'm sorry. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the blonde bombshell in Carrigan. Hey there. Happy Valentine's Day. Woohoo. Yes. And of course, my partner in crime, Steve Parsons. Yo, it's not Valentine's Day anymore. It's done. Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah, you're such a romantic, aren't you, Steve? And, of course, my favorite West Coast switch, the amazing Oliver Brooks. Hello. Hey, there thought, you go. thought nope. maybe you forgot her name. No Wasn't love sure. train music tonight because I don't want to get sued anymore than I <laughs> have been. Finally, the FCC caught you then. Yeah, it's not like that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it, it is what it is, as they say somewhere, I'm sure. Okay. But anyways, we've got a great show tonight. Uh, we, we Since we it do. is Val- Valentine's Day, <laughs> and last, yesterday's show was such a, a downer. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me? We had it a great show. Oh, horrible, terrible tales of, of agony and... Uh, Oh, oh well, that the yin and the yang. That yes. music is good. So this, yeah. is a, this is a good show today. As we look at Valentine's Day, uh-huh. what is Valentine's Day? And uh-huh. some of the cool stories associated with it. But before we get into the history of uh, Valentine's Day, I thought I'd take us on a little tour around the world. And it's quite a few countries, so I'm only going to do a few at a time. Oh, God, he's not going to start doing pronunciations again, is he? So... <laughs> Oh, we can only hope. Uh, stand by yeah. for some. If you're listening internationally, stand by for some very bad pronunciations of your national names, places, yeah, yeah, traditions. Yeah. Mutilation will follow. If you yes. Say so. Anyways, uh-huh. uh, I, I thought, so. thought I'd look at some of the uh, the traditions of Valentine's across the world, and I figure I'd start with a, a place. And I would normally ask Steve about this place, but. Uh, since, uh, judging from his remarks about the love locks on yesterday's show, I'm sure he is no romantic, so he has no idea what the hell I'm going to be talking about. So I'm going to start with Wales. You won't find Wales celebrating St. Valentine's Day. No, because no, we've no, already no. celebrated you it a month celebrate ago. St. Dwindendin. Dwindendin. He is the Welsh. Patron saint of lovers. That's right. That's we right. have our Valentine's Day way before you. In January 25th, to be exact. Exactly. One traditional romantic Welsh gift is a love spoon. And Which I know you all. have. 
I know all about love spoons because Steve brought me one. He just likes to talk. Oh, uh, really? Him. Yeah, I think wow. so. Yeah, because Steve and I are like bromance. I know? never knew about <laughs> John, honestly. <laughs> oh, hold on. In the early 17th century, Welsh men, Welsh men carved intricate wooden spoons as a token of their affection for other women and men, I guess. Uh, they loved. Patents and symbols were carved into these love spoons. Oh, I'm back. Each, each <laughs> signifying a different meaning. Uh, Wait, few, I have to leave again. A few examples include horseshoes, which stands for good luck, wheels, which symbolize support, keys, which symbolize the keys to a man heart. And today, love spoons are exchanged on uh, celebrations such as weddings and anniversaries. <laughs> as well. Isn't that, isn't that lovely? I, it's, it is. I, you can go into most um, Welsh stores and buy a handmade love spoon. Um, for those who are incapable of actually carving their own out of wood. Right. And yeah. in fact, I gave my lovely wife one on, her, on our wedding day. Aww. Did you give her for Valentine's Day, Steve? Just saying. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I figured. Uh, oh. Right on to a, another uh, place that Steve absolutely. Because our Valentine's <laughs> Day was in January. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fine. We're right along. Okie doke. We'll go to the Jolly England. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, sorry, wrong holiday. Yeah. Uh, on the evening of Valentine's Day, women in England used to place five bay leaves on their pillows, one yeah. in each corner and one in the center, to bring dreams of their future husband. Alternatively, they would put wet bay leaves with, uh, they would wet the bay leaves with rose water and place them across the pillows. Well, there's two different ways of doing it. I think I'll take the dry ones, those wet ones would be kind of snacky and simple. Uh, anyways, in Norfolk, uh, Jack Valentine acts as uh, Santa, of a sorts on Valentine's Day. Children anxiously wait to hear Jack Valentine knock at their doors, and although they don't get a glimpse of old Father Valentine, children enjoy candies and small gifts from their porches. Okay, okay. all right. Just stop. Why was, must we put a Christmas spin on Valentine's Day? Excuse me? Why? They invented Christmas, so get over it. It's... Oh, oh my God. All right, I'll do one more before I uh, switch Santa Claus needs to stay in his own freaking uh, month. Oh, says the... Says the uh, That's the, it. Says the Grinch the night before... I don't Christmas even stay. care. For, yeah, that, that bad guy only needs to come around on December 25th, and then he needs to go away. You say so. He cannot infringe on Valentine's Day. Yes, he can. No, he can't. Jack Valentine can. Well, the kids love him. Highly unimaginative. Well, the kids love him. Probably more than you. So there you go. Uh, Stay isn't for kids. Anyways. Moving right along, Argentina. This will be the last one, and then I'll switch it up. (laughs) One day isn't enough to celebrate Argentina's Valentine. Oh, no, no, no. The land of the tango. Tango uh, celebrates the occasion. Tangle. Oh, yeah, the tango. All week. In addition you to February, February 14th, they set aside what? seven days in July for Sweetness Week. From the 13th to the 20th, lovers and friends will exchange candies 
and kisses. And this typically ends on Friendship Day. So there's a couple of celebrations from around the world. I'll, I'll come back later on and give you a few more. But right now we're going to look at the what is Valentine's Day and, and, and how did it come about. And I'm going to turn this over to the most knowing witch I know. And that's because i got a spell cast on me, and I have to say that. Uh, Marla Brooks. <laughs> yeah, I would never do that to you. <clears throat> Ever. <laughs> Sorry. But it's tempting, get, though, isn't it? It's very tempting. Yes, Steve. It's absolutely tempting. But, okay, yeah. Um, Valentine's. Well, this is a story of St. Valentine to start with. And um, it's kind of sad, but it's kind of nice at the same time. Um Somewhere back around the year 3rd century A.D., Valentine was a holy priest in Rome in the days of Emperor Claudius II, and he was executed. Now, under the rule of Claudius the Cruel, I guess that was his nickname, Rome was involved in many unpopular and bloody campaigns. And the emperor had to maintain a strong army, but he was having difficult getting anybody to join. Um, and he believed that Roman men were unwilling to join the army because of their strong attachment to their wives and their families. So to get rid of the problem, Claudius banned all marriages and engagements in Rome. And Valentine, um, realizing the injustice of the decree, defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages for young lovers in secret. Aww. So when Valentine's actions were discovered... Claudius ordered that he be put to death. So Valentine was arrested, and he was dragged before the prefect of Rome, who condemned him to be beaten to death with clubs, and then have his head cut off, as if oh. one isn't, you know, one isn't enough. Can't be too sure. Right. Uh huh. So the sentence was carried out um, on February the fourteenth. So legend has it that while he was in jail, Valentine left a farewell note for the jailer's blind daughter, Julia. How sweet. And the legend states that God restored Julia's sight after she and Valentine prayed together. So on the eve of his execution, Valentine supposedly penned a note to Julia and signed it from your Valentine. Oh, I know, huh? So, oh my God, and sorry about the dog. That's the neighbor's dog. Can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask if someone was screaming. That was, that was Valentine. She's, she's in heat for her Valentine. Yeah, really. Oh my God. Anyway, hopefully that will stop. Um, but in the, in the meantime, God. Right. Yes. Um, so some historians believe more than one Valentine was executed by Claudius II. Um, but despite the ambiguity surrounding Valentine in his life, the Catholic Church declared him a saint and listed him in Roman martyrology as being martyred on February 14th. Now, in truth, ah. here's more stuff. I mean, I kept finding stuff. And wait till I get to Lupercalia, then people will cringe. Um, Lupercalia? Lupercalia? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, my. Okay. Love it. Love it. Um, But, okay, so the exact origins and identity of St. Valentine really isn't clear, but according to the Catholic Encyclopedia, again, three different St. Valentines, all of them martyred, are mentioned in the early, oh, here we go again, martyrologies under the date of February 14th. Uh, One was a priest in Rome, the second one was a bishop of Interamna, which is now 
in Italy. And the third one was a martyr in the Roman province of Africa. Now, legends vary on how the names became connected with romance, and the dates of their deaths may have become mingled with the Feast of Lupercalia, which is an ancient pagan festival. Now, mm-hmm. although Valentine's Day shares its name with the martyred Christian saints, some historians believe that the holiday is actually an offshoot of Lupercalia. Um, un- unlike Valentine's Day, however, <clears throat> Lupercalia was a bloody, violent, and sexually charged celebration awash with animal sacrifice, random matchmaking, and coupling in the hopes of warding off evil spirits and infertility. My goodness. Now, yeah, I mean, coupling to ward off the boogeyman. This is a really good, a good excuse. Idea. I remember that. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's what <laughs> I was Stop it. You're giving him ideas for Spirit Quest. <laughs> That's your problem. I'll be 3,000 miles away. I'm worried about that iguana. <laughs> so our, the feasting at Lupercalia begins with kind of the ritual sacrifice. Um, and oy, when uh, it just doesn't get better, when the feast of Luper was over, the Luper CI, Luper Kai, Cut strips, also called thongs of Februa. Oh, yeah, thongs of February, yeah. I know, really. Um, of goat hide from the newly sacrificed goats. And then, oh, they ran uh, naked or nearly naked around Palatine, whipping any woman within striking distance with their thongs. Now, many women welcomed the lashes and even bared their skin to receive the fertility consecration, because like that's what it was. Like yeah. But it's open to speculation what the uh, lashes really represented. It you know, might have been a fertility ritual. It might have just been, you know, fun. Yeah, yeah. All right. And then <laughs> during Lupercalia, the men randomly chose a woman's name from a jar to be coupled with them for the duration of the festival. And often the couple stayed together um, until the following year's festival. And, you know, some of them actually fell in love and got married. But oh my goodness. so... But here, here's the here's the, the rub. Over time, ah, na- the rub, get it? No, okay. the, naked- <laughs> the nakedness during Lupercalia lost its popularity. The festival Cold. became more chaste, chaste, chaste. All right, yes, chaste, and um, if still undignified, yes. And women and men were like deciding to whip their hands by fully clothed men. Uh, I'm, 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 yeah. So, all right. Now, finally, last, last, last yeah. Book, yeah, really. Um, in 496 AD, Pope Gelasius decided to put an end to the Feast of Lupercalia. Ooh. Yep. And declared February 14th a day to celebrate the martyrdom of St. Valentine instead, although it's highly unlikely he intended the day to commemorate love and passion. In fact, (laughs) some modern biblical scholars warn Christians not to celebrate Valentine's Day since it's thought to be based on pagan ritual. Oh! Yes! No! Yes! No! Wow! I know! That's amazing! I know. Hey, hey, what that feast of lubricated? KY missed the sponsorship kit. <laughs> well, were you there? Maybe the they whole just... new advert. You know, it, for, was, uh, it was carved yeah. in stone or something. <laughs> yeah. 
This is where we end up. First Christmas is supposed to be a pagan festival. Then we get well, that, that was really good. So we'll be right along. Right, <laughs> we here. right into the gutter. Let's bring this out of the gutter and we'll ah. turn to my good friend and and let's see what she has for us. Oh my goodness. All right. I yeah, have top that, Annie. Oh, I don't think I can top that. <laughs> Just I get it out of the gutter at all. I don't think I oh, can. Oh please. I'm exhausted just listening to all that. I know. All right. So I have the tale of the bloody horseshoe grave. Oh, here we go. Of Mary Angle Henry in Rushville, Ohio. Okay? Uh-huh. All right. Because I'm a gravestone girl. Here we go. A gravestone has an impression of a bloody horseshoe because a man refused to return a wedding gift horse. Yes, horse. To his late wife's parents after she died. James Henry was a young farmer in the region. In 1844, it is said two women caught his eye, Mary Engel and Rachel Hodge. Both were attractive, charming women. James was so smitten with both, he just couldn't decide which one to marry. But at the age of 30... He was expected to find a wife and settle down, pick a mate. And he was sure that he could never decide between these two beautiful women. But one night while heading home from visiting his sweethearts, all right, that's plural, he fell asleep on the back of his horse. When he awoke, the horse was standing outside the door of Mary Angle. And James took it as a sign that fate had decided who would be his bride. So he married Mary, and each of the parents gave the newlyweds a horse. Less than a year later, Mary died during childbirth. All right, if this was forensic files, this would be a whole whole case. But anyways, I digress. Henry would recover from his loss, and he married again. Guess who he married? Rachel Hodge, though his horse. Rachel Hodge, the other sweetheart, right? So everything went as planned in the marriage, and there was only one problem. Henry didn't return the wedding gift horse to Mary's family as tradition would expect. And it was then found on Mary's grave, a bloody horseshoe print embedded in the stone it still stays today an everlasting ghostly reminder to all who take romance and tradition too lightly how did the horse get blood on it i know i was just thinking that i don't know but i just hey i just find them i don't write them yeah that's all all i can say it's kind of like boot up in uh in uh Oh, God, now I forget. Yeah. Fort Knox is uh, yeah. you know, up in Maine, and they yeah. have the boot yeah. on the grave. So it's probably rust. Just can't get it off. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, that was enlightening. So let's move right along to Steve. So I'm sure it will bring us some really happiness here on Valentine's Day. I will. And I'm going to bring it right to somewhere that Ron and I know very well indeed. The gutter? Hampton. Hampton. 
New Hampshire. Hampton, New Hampshire? New Hampshire? A family of Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, no less. Ooh. Ooh. We know where that is. A place. I know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that is, but hey, I'm out of the loop. That's the beach house. That's well, where we all hang out at Spirit Quest. Marla, if you, yeah, if you come to Spirit Quest, you can hang out. Okay. Well, this, this story takes us back to 1890, and a family vacationing at Hampton Beach were out walking one morning when they saw a little boy who looked about 12 years old standing in front of an old house, smiling to them. The boy appeared to be glowing brighter than his surrounding area. The daughter of the family became frightened over the appearance of the handsome, smiling little boy who wore blue coveralls, a sailor's shirt and a sailor's cap. He asked, he appeared not to be looking at them, but rather looking through them. Mm. The father approached the boy and said, Hello, Sonny, do you live here? The boy instantly vanished. The three of them realised that they had encountered a ghost. Now, most ghosts are friendly or at least harmless. There are some surrounded by negative energy that may be part of them or perhaps the place they haunt. This is not true in the case of the ghost of 11-year-old Valentine Marston of Hampton, New Hampshire, who is always smiling when he makes his appearance. Valentine, the son of C.C. and M.A. Marston, was born on St. Valentine's Day in 1879 and died on October 12, 1890. His father had an old gun, which Valentine had found one day and decided to take to the woods near the home and try out. But the gun exploded, almost blowing his hand off. (laughs) <laughs> Although he was not injured seriously, his wounds gave way to lead poisoning, which did become deadly. All subsequent owners of the house that once sat on the corners of Watkins Lane and Lafayette Road have seen the young boy on many occasions. He appears to be surrounded by a halo of light. One time he came to the door of the house carrying flowers. When the woman of the house reached for the bouquet, the boy and the flowers disappeared. Others have encountered the smiling young boy while passing the house, which was once, many years ago, moved a few blocks from its original location. Some claim to have witnessed the glowing boy in the sailor suit walking along Hampton Beach. Each time he is approached, he vanishes into thin air. There is no special time he makes an appearance, but those who see him never forget. One family had many run-ins with the little ghost while living there between 1972 and 1977. One time, whilst cooking in the kitchen, the pages of the cookbook began flipping furiously. The mother quickly shut the book. When she opened it again, the pages started flipping rapidly once more. Her children reported seeing the ghost on many occasions, and guests visiting the house once saw the little spirit run right past them. It seems that Valentine Marston liked to look at pictures as they were always found either crooked on the walls or placed somewhere they would not normally be. Footsteps going from the living room to the kitchen were a common occurrence for the inhabitants of the home. Little Valentine Marston is buried in Pine Grove Cemetery, the same small burying ground that houses the famous Jonathan Moulton Memorial. A large boulder with the name Marston carved on it marks his grave. Although his body may be at rest, young Valentine Marston's spirit seems to be wandering the Hampton area where he grew up. 
perhaps hoping one day to fulfil his dream of wanting to become a sailor. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Mm. awesome. I need to find that cemetery next I time I'm up there. Get over there. Yeah. I know where that is. Oh my goodness! Well, then I'm there next summer. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, that was sad, but nice. At least it's the son of a freaking gutter. Anyway. <laughs> yes, it did. Pulled us out. Thanks, I'm just Steve. Saying. Biggity was going to throw us right back in there. No, 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 no. And no mention of lobsters. Uh, Right. Okay, so moving on, let's take a look at how other countries celebrate South Africa. I mean, uh, Valentine's Day. And we'll start with South Africa. Are we going to South Africa by any chance? Yes, we are. (laughs) Many parts of the world... South Africa, celebrates Valentine's Days with festivals, flowers, and tokens of love. It's customary of women in South Africa to wear their hearts on their sleeve on February 14th. Uh-oh. Women pin the name of their love interest on their shirt sleeves, an ancient rumored tradition known as Lupercalia. <laughs> oh, it raises its ugly head again. Ugly head again. <laughs> All right. In some yep. cases, this is how South African men learn who their secret admirers are. Uh, so that how that just went right back to where it was. But anyways, so we always think of France as, as a love place. So what, what do they do in France? So take a look. Uh, you know, it is said that the first Valentine's Day card originated in France when Charles, Duke of Orleans, sent letters to his wife while being in prison. And guess what, Steve? Tower of London in 1415. <laughs> Today's Valentine's Day card re- remains a popular tradition in France and around the world. Uh, in addition to the, uh, this tradition, France also has the Leoto de Moi, or Drawing for Love. That sounds good. Driving for love. All right, right, move on. Um, Well, say it again in French, Van Helsing. I forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Men and women would fill houses that face one another, then take turns calling out one another's name and pairing off. Hey, Van Helsing, you have tunes. We got to take a break. Oh, shoot. Right in the middle of my tunes? Yep. All right. We'll have to continue and find out what happens when they pair off. All right. Hello, hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Parax Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future. 
then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Welcome back to our love week. Love, 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 love is in the air. And we're here with Van Helsing and Marla Brooks and Steve Parsons and myself, the blonde bombshell love. Okay, who's next? I want what she's drinking. I have to finish my story. Well, you better take another drink. As you remember, just before the break... We were talking about how in France they used to fill houses that face one another, then take turns calling out one another's name and pairing off. Men who weren't satisfied with their match would simply leave the woman for another. And the woman left unmatched would gather afterwards for a bonfire. Sounds like witches to me. During the bonfire, women burned pictures of the men who wronged them. There you go. And hurled swears and insults at the opposite sex. That's the, awesome. The event became so uh, uncontrollable that the French government eventually banned it and the dish it altogether. So isn't that just special? It's very special. I thought you would like that one. I appreciated it. I really liked that. That was perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, Mala can be up next. All right. I can? Okay. This is short and sweet. You can't complain, Ron. That's <laughs> a long one because I talk too much. But he will anyways. Well, this is, you know, kind of a short one. I can't help it because, you know, we weren't there. We didn't take notes. But it goes back to the 12th century, and it's about Heloise and Abelard. And back, back then, um, the norm for the average society was to be repressed and strict as it gets. I mean, love affairs between a theologian and a philosopher – and his, well, a the, yeah, he was a theologian, a philosopher, Abelard, and his younger student was Heloise. And their affair scandalized and challenged Parisian society like never before. Back to oh. Paris. Yeah. So the thin line between blind faith and logic was violated, and the consequences were about to hit Heloise and Abelard hard. Um, they had already been married, by the way, but still, you know, they, those people hold grudges. And the trigger was when Heloise got pregnant. I mean, they both realized that they wouldn't be safe for her to remain in Paris, and they fled to Brittany, which was uh, Abelard's birthplace. Um, Heloise's aunt, uh, I'm sorry, uncle, Fulbert, 
he was the canon of Fulbert, yeah, uh, the canon of Notre Dame, and the one who also hired Abelard to be his niece's tutor in a scheme to protect her dignity only in his own mind. (laughs) <laughs> was the one who put an end to their love by having his servants castrate Abelard while he slept. <gasps> oh! I know, I know. Well, it kind of worked out in a way because that he <laughs> became a monk, all right? And now he had the qualifications to become a monk then, and he dedicated his life to philosophy. And while the heartbroken Heloise was forced by her uncle to give her child up for adoption and become a nun... Oh. Um, even though she, even so, she remained in love with Abelard, who she corresponded with the rest of her life. Now, distraught because of their separation and their mm, other stuff, um, the lovers entered the monastery, both of them, and wrote a set of now famous letters to each other until their deaths. Even though they never met again, they just um, constantly corresponded. And their affectionate but sad love letters were later published, and they continue to touch thousands of people around the world today. And the two of them are buried together in Paris. Oh, Happy ending, sort happy of. Ending. <laughs> slight, slight, happy ending. Slice, slice, happy ending. Yeah. Okay. But still, that's a great love story. They, they never gave up on each other. That's where Lorraine Bobbitt got the idea. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> there you go. What ever happened to Lorraine? Mm-hmm. Lorraine? I don't know. Lorraine Bobbitt. Yeah. Yep. Oh, well. We'll write a lot. That was uh, enlightening. Yes, uh, it was. <laughs> so, it was a beautiful love story. Keeping us Except for the this. castration. Yeah. Oh, well, you know. Kind of like. It wasn't a slip of the tongue. It was just a slip of the knife. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, sorry. I'm going to shut up now. Okay. Ah, Anne. Me? No, what about Steve? Did we already, no, we already did you. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. You know, that, that one. I mean, I, yeah, I'm I should know. My legs. My, you know what? I think it is my turn. I'm sitting with my legs crossed now, so I, I can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I have a story. Yes. I, I, have a story. I do have a story. Okay. So, this is another cemetery story. You're going to love this. Okay. Oh, this is a surprise. For those who listen to their heart instead of their gut, when the guy or girl is a lot hot and a little creepy, both at the same time. In other words, no, you can't change them. So, the epitaph on the headstone states, Charles McGill. Hanged in accordance with law in Cleveland for the murder of his sweetheart, W.E.P. Oh, no. That's who wrote this. Sorry. <laughs> okay. The ghost of Charles McGill <laughs> is said to walk the West State Street Cemetery. Born in 1850 and the son of a well-known carpenter, he was raised in Athens, Ohio. Charles fell prey to his mood swings, drinking and gambling. After his father died, he fell in love, however, with a Columbus girl named Mary Kelly, good Irish girl. After four years of not so blissful marriage, she ran away because of his violent mood swings, thinking he might have changed. All right. And those who are desperate this Valentine's Day, please note what happens after this. Okay. 
So thinking he might have changed, she wrote him a letter in 1877, then met with Charles one last romantic evening that turned into a horrid nightmare. He shot her in the face, killing her instantly. He was hanged. I know, right? He was hanged in Cleveland on February 13th. Oh! 1879. Now, he walks the cemetery, maybe a crazed idiot, looking for more lovelorn girls to spend one last romantic night with. Okay. There you go. That could be you. Another beautiful love story. All right. Once again, we turn to Steve to bring us out (laughs) of the doldrums here and... uh, Bring us up to another level. So, hey, I Steve, thought that was beautiful. I thought it was yes, beautiful. Yeah, get shot in the face for no reason at all. It's beautiful. Uh, moving right <laughs> along, Steve. Call. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I mean, what are these women? Geez, at least we got some joyful ones. Uh, Steve, what do you have for us now? Well, I'm keeping with the theme of guns because on February the fourth, nineteen twenty-nine, at the SMC Cartage Company in Chicago. Oh, I know this one which was a red brick building and stood on uh, the north side of Chicago. It was the, the building was also used as a warehouse for illegal black market liquor for the north side drugs, uh, north side mugs, meringue gang, a mob of thugs who were in direct competition with the infamous Al Capone and his Ooh. gang selling oh. illicit bootleg booze to a very thirsty Chicago population during the years of prohibition. Of course, we all know what happened next. Capone's gang went and uh, did for Bugsy's gang. On the morning of February the 14th, 1929, a group of Bugs Moran's gangsters were waiting in the garage for a truck full of stolen liquor from Detroit to arrive. Johnny May, Frank and Peter Gusenberg, Bugs Moran's brother-in-law, James Clark, Adam Heyer, Al Weinshank. And a gangster wannabe optometrist Reinhard Schwimmer, who learned too late that it was dangerous hanging around with men on the wrong side of the law. An optometrist? Yeah. Okay. As they waited, Different. a police car pulled up outside. Five men, three dressed as policemen, exited and walked into the garage with the machine guns at the ready. All seven men were lined up against the brick wall and shot many times by the machine gunned met by the machine gun armed men. Whilst Capone's gunmen wiped out the northern Chicago gang, they missed Bugs Moran, who was late to the party. Moran later accused Capone of this vicious hit. Although there was never any evidence to directly link Capone to the event, people believed Bugs. The location of the brutal killing has been haunted for many years. The bricks are said to bring bad luck, and Capone himself saw his reign come to an end and was haunted by an entity until he died in Florida. That's true. The reason for the the bricks, 20 years later in 1949, the front half of the garage was converted into an antique furniture storage business by people who were new to Chicago and didn't know what happened there. Unfortunately, they were continually visited by tourists. In fact, more tourists than customers came, and they eventually gave up and moved on. 
1967, the old building was torn down, but the infamous wall of bricks against which the massacre took place was saved and used in another nightclub. It was built into the wall of the men's restroom. <laughs> Other bricks were smuggled out by workmen tearing down the building. The location of the brutal mass killing has been haunted for many years. Unusual lights and mists have been reported. Men's voice are heard when no one else is around. The sounds of screaming men and machine gun fire still are heard by the living passing this place. And sensitive people who claim to be psychic stand in front of the fenced lawn or walk by it, developing a real sense of fear. Sounds like the massacre's ongoing. What are we doing? What are we doing? Are we building a wall? He just stopped in midterm. I can't believe it. I was just wondering what the noise was. The bricks themselves are also said to bring bad luck. The theory is that the bricks soaked in all this powerful negative energy from the killings. Legend has it that after the nightclub outlived its purpose, the bricks were taken out and sold individually for $1,000 each. (laughs) But many of the bricks that were sold were given back because the new owners suffered a rash of bad luck, as the story goes. Others say the bricks were never sold individually, but were kept together in a packed box, numbered with a diagram as to how to put the wall back together again, with the hope that a single buyer would buy the whole wall of bricks. It never sold, or not yet anyway. So there we are. So, down to the end of the cemetery for Anne. Capone is buried at Mount Carmel Cemetery in Chicago. And Ah. it is said that he sometimes appears to disrespectful visitors who come to visit the family plot. Sweet. And carrying on with that as well, it is also, uh, the building was torn down, and there uh, was a park was built over it. And uh, the uh, people who uh, live in an adjacent nursing home have reported uh, seeing gangsters walking the streets at night. And dogs have also been uh, known to bark and growl as they walk in the park. Hmm. So there you go. Plus, well, I know Marla I, has something. Well, yeah. no, I've got, no, I've got one more for this because I was on Facebook earlier today, and there was a picture from my friend Scott Michaels standing yeah. in front of the brick wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and supposedly, I didn't read the whole story, and I need to get in touch with him to find out about it, but it, supposedly it's in Las Vegas. There was definitely one brick that was sold, because I've seen, a, uh, I've seen it in a, in a glass cabinet. One, this was a picture of one. the whole a wall. Hole in it. A picture of the whole wall, and even on top it said, St. Valentine's Day wall. Oh, this oh, is like, right up Scott's alley. Why doesn't he have that wall? He has the brick. He has a brick. I know. Yeah, he but he needs more than a brick. He needs the wall. Yeah, but how do you know that's even real for God's well, sake? Well, you don't. I don't know. Okay, so that's why I said I've got to ask him. Say anything, I, right? I have. I have a brick from a haunted house. Yeah. So I don't know. It's really haunted. But anyway. Well, it's Borley Rectory. Yeah. Well. So. And I know it's from Borley Rectory because I got it from there. Oh. It was he given appropriated to me. It the brick. It was given to me by the property oh. owner. It was a gift. It oh, was a gift, yeah. and it's fully, you know, all the provenance is there. It's a brick from Borley Rectory. There you go. Never look a gift brick. Actually, I've got now. some brick dust, haven't I, Ron? From yes, you do. From, from, uh, from the Borden House. The Borden House. Right, the Borden House, right. Brick dust? Yeah. Dust, a jar of a little uh, vial of brick dust from the board. Oh, yeah, from Lizzie Borden. Lizzie Borden. I have one too, actually. Nice. Uh, 
Oh, you so, guys out there in the middle of the night, just with a little, little yeah, scraper. Just and, yeah, that's it. Yeah, just scraping away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving right along, how does Germany celebrate St. Valentine's Day? Oh, God. I don't Which know. The Germans don't have any sense of romance or fun. <laughs> yes, they do. Now, celebrate. what did they do? How did they celebrate? By invading celebrate. Poland? <laughs> Valentine's Day in Germany is popular among the locals. You, but you will celebrate Valentine's Day. It is not especially commercial as it is in other parts of the world. Lovers will not ex- only exchange chocolates, uh, but they also do something special. In addition to the chocolates, hearts, and, and, and uh, heart-shaped gifts, they also exchange pigs. A pig pigs. represents... Yes, pigs. <laughs> Pig represents... Luck and lust, and can be given in a picture form or a miniature statue or chocolate, as anyone seems fit. Also, Germans prepare a big ginger cookie in hot shapes, which contain romantic phrases like, It's a Liza Dutch! Which means I love you, of course. (laughs) Of course. And Glockenschwein means lucky pig. That's right, Glockenstein, and, and, and don't forget uh, Schnell, you dumb cuff. Moving <laughs> right along. Well, yes, we will annex the Sudetenland. Yes, they will. Anyways, moving right along. <laughs> did I say moving right along? He yes, did. did, a few yes. times. Yeah. Okay. A few times. So how come I can't see this? All right. Do you need new glasses? I don't know what it is. Okay, here it is. So yesterday on the show, I talked about uh, a, a special tradition of love locks, which Steve, of course, was so. Uh, never mind. Move right along. Uh, not all places cut off love locks, and the Lone Wolf Crossing Bridge in San Diego, Texas, uh, people can bring their love locks and attach it to a large metal heart that is built there specifically for the purpose. Uh-huh. I'd wire it to the electricity supply. <laughs> that stop them. Get much romance is a wet noodle. Mm. Mm-hmm. But the, okay. bridge is, the bridge is also haunted as well. Of course fact, it is. Yes. In fact, many people have seen... Uh, Strange people walking on the banks that they're not familiar with. Uh, couples have been seen. Uh, Wailing in, ghosts saying, where's the key I want out? <laughs> in fact, so many, so many, uh, there's so many reports of paranormal activity that many ghost hunting groups use it for training sessions, Steve. Really? Do they? Yes, in fact, there was one, one riveting report about how they were on the bridge with their equipment and it all went dead. And just as they did that, they saw right before their own eyes a big orb. <laughs> Not an orb. Oh, yes. no. it, did it have a red circle around it? I think so. It had a little arrow through it as well. Okay. <laughs> like, I, bought, I, I bought some new ghost hunting equipment, ghost detection equipment today. Seriously. Really? In our local supermarket, a big red plastic hoop. I'm going to take it with me on investigations and hang it on things. <laughs> <laughs> and then take pictures and put them on Facebook. That will make it a lot easier, won't it? There yeah. you go. It will. So, really simplify the three pound I've spent this, this year. <laughs> and, and of course, as most people know, a lot of these ghost hunting groups do it at 
bull move because we know that the energy is the greatest and, and the ghosts come out at that time. Well, yeah. others, yep. others have That's proven right. that during foggy nights, it's much easier to see the people hanging from the bridge. Ah, oh, you get a lot more orbs on a foggy night, too. I guess so. Amazing? Probably why they find it so good. Yeah. Anyways, moving right along. Uh, I've had enough of that one. Uh, Anne, I think you're up. Oh, my goodness. Really? Okay. Yeah, my, my computer just froze anyways. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All right. So we it's need to find a quickie. All the right. orbs are getting back at you. The orbs are jumping in there. All right. <clears throat> so for those who are into love triangles... Oh, and think yeah. they'll work, all right? Like kind of like the Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah. But anyways, during the canal years, boats were led by men called drivers who would lead the mules, pulling the boats along the worn towpath beside the water. This is in St. Mary's, Ohio, by the way. So that's good to know. Jack Billings was a big, soft-hearted man and a driver for the Daisy. That was a ship. A more moody man <laughs> by the name of William Yeah. By the right. way, of William Jones led the mules for the Minnie Warren. Both the men fell in love with the same woman, whose father named his boat after her, the Minnie Warren. A rivalry began for the young woman. It was not until one evening in the fall of 1854 when William's jealousy peaked after a social event both Minnie and Jack attended. Late in the evening, as they walked home to the canal, they paused at the bridge to kiss. Little did they know that William was waiting for them in the shadows with an axe. In one stroke, he cut Jack down. So terrified was Minnie, she fell backward over the edge of the bridge and into the water below. She died along with her sweetheart. Although the old bridge was taken down, a new one has replaced it. You can still stand on it and say, uh, and look over the edge of the bridge and into the canal, and you can see Minnie's face looking up at you. Okay, there you go. Another beautiful love story. I love your stories, Anne. Isn't it wonderful? Love yeah, is wonderful, You just bring us up to a new level. Yes, it does. <laughs> so that would be Mauer? I've got one more quick one, yes. Um, yeah, Catherine the Great and Gregory Potemkin. This goes back to 1761. See, I'm very historical the last couple of days. Yeah, um, you are. You're in yeah, that mode. I guess so. I'm old. Um, <laughs> Catherine was the wife of the Russian Tsar Peter III, but after only one year in power, Peter was overthrown, likely with Catherine's help, and he was killed. Um, she may have given those orders, too, uh, by the Imperial Guard forces in a coup d'etat. It just so happens that right at about that time Peter was meeting his grim fate, this Russian soldier, Gregory Potemkin, was on guard duty, ensuring Catherine's safety. Catherine, who would become the empress in only a few days, uh, took a liking to Potemkin, and despite the fact that he was obese, vain, and missing an eye, Ooh. she still fell in love with him. I know, that's that's pure love. You, you know, yeah. Love is blind, right? Uh, so... She, but, but Catherine wasn't exactly known for being picky about her lovers. Um, she had many. But when she undoubtedly proved that she loved him because he was the longest that she remained faithful to. So by 1771, Catherine had made him an official Russian statesman, a count, and the commander of her armies. 
Uh Now, although their love affair ended in 1776, Potemkin remained the love of her life. And when she died at the age of 52, Catherine went into a depression from which she never fully recovered. Aww. Yeah. Poor Catherine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Ron? Oh. Is it over yet? Wake yeah. up! Steve. Ron! Steve. Yo. Well, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to uh, end my stories for tonight with a romantic tale of a Thank woman God. fed up <laughs> of searching for the perfect man, and so she married the ghost of a 300 year old pirate. <laughs> Amanda Teague, age 45, has married a Haitian pirate named Jack, who died in the 1700s. And the matter, the simple matter that he's dead and a ghost doesn't bother her. The woman, fed up of searching for the perfect man, married the ghost of the 300-year-old pirate and says that he is her soulmate. Her friends and family attended the wedding on a boat off the Irish coast. And like any ordinary couple, apparently they have arguments. They go on date nights. They even have sex. Mm -hmm. Amanda, a Captain Jack Sparrow impersonator, (laughs) told the Daily Star newspaper, he's my soulmate and I'm so happy. It's the perfect kind of relationship for me. (laughs) There are a lot of people out there who don't know about spiritual relationships, but it could be right for them. And she just wants to get the message out there. Mm-hmm. Amanda, who thinks her job is what could brought Jack to her, has never seen her husband in physical form, but she imagines that he is very similar to Captain Jack in Pirates of the Caribbean. That's the amazing. romance began one night in 2014 when lying in bed, she felt the energy of a spirit next to her. Ooh. She realized he could communicate with her. She became more interested. <laughs> Amanda's feelings for Jack grew as they got to know each other more and more. Then one day he told her they could actually be together. Although she'd never actually had a spirit boyfriend before, she did some research and realized that she wasn't the only one to have a relationship with a ghost. Amanda, who'd been married before and has five children with her ex-husband, <laughs> now feels that her connection with her new ghostly husband is very strong. That's wonderful. <clears throat> How beautiful. Yeah. I wish Anyways. I could be married to Captain Jack. If I was gay, I'd marry him, too. That's good. Yeah. I kind of like Davy Jones myself. No, I like that. <laughs> With all the eyes, you. Yes. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, we'll end the show with one last quick uh, how they celebrate Valentine's Day in Italy. Uh, yeah, because it, the Valentine's tradition for young woman, young and married woman, is to wake up before dawn on Valentine's Day, and the first person they see yep. will be their future husband, oh. or he will resemble her. And that makes it a little difficult, right? Uh huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh. See, so, you know, I just made that little. Talk. <clears throat> I mean, I could go on, but I won't. Right. So, anyways. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, uh, that's too bad. But uh, you can hear more of it tomorrow night. Where can they do that, Mala? Right here, um, well, where I am, Stirring the Cauldron on Para-X. And we're simulcasting on... Are, no, we're not, are we? No. All right. Um, here on Para-X. <laughs> Join right. us Hopefully here. Hopefully you can hear it on Para-X, but eventually you'll be able to hear it. Podcasted it's- everywhere, yes. Yeah, yes, that's yeah. true. 
Exactly. So, yeah. Same, same in all good times. Walmart stores across the nation. So right. here it is. The tunes are on. So let's all in unison. We're going to say happy Valentine's Day. Ready? One, two, three. Happy, happy Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week. See ya. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good Lord.